0: Hi everybody and welcome to episode 24 of the Intermittent Fasting Stories podcast. Today I'm here with Nissa Gron. Nissa lives in Mesa, Arizona where she's a stay-at-home mom of a 5-year-old and a 3-year-old and she also runs a website and has written books, which is very exciting. So welcome Nissa. Hi, thank you. Well, I like to start by asking everybody, what brought you to intermittent fasting and how long have you been living an intermittent fasting lifestyle?
1: I have a really long journey that brought me to intermittent fasting. Do you want me to go through the whole thing? I do. Okay. Like I said, it's a really long journey. So I started as a lifelong yo-yo dieter, which started somewhere around age 12. So I was pretty young. Back then, I was doing mostly like low calorie, low fat plans because it was the 80s and that's what people did, or actually the early 90s. And so I started off on plans like that. And I basically struggled with yo yo diets for more than two decades. I definitely tried them all from Weight Watchers numerous times, Jenny Craig, LA Weight Loss, like basically you name it, I tried it. I even tried the low carb plans like Atkins, South Beach, all of those. And, you know, there are times that I would lose the weight, but I never really felt great, and I always put it back on before I ever even reached a goal. So basically over that 20-year history, I bounced all around anywhere between 20 to 50 pounds where I would just constantly go through that yo-yo cycle of lose, gain, lose, gain. And not only did I have all of the rebound weight gain, but I had a ton of health problems that came along with that that started at a pretty early age. I had headaches and migraines since I was around 15 years old, constant sinus infections, anxiety, depression. I had plantar fasciitis, constipation, nausea, insomnia, hypoglycemia, diabetic blood sugar levels. As you can see, my health was basically just a mess, and that's how it was from the time I was like a preteen. So in 2013, I became pregnant with my first child. And when I became pregnant, I was actually at my highest weight ever, which was somewhere like around the 180 mark. And since I was already at my heaviest weight, I then added another 50 pounds with the pregnancy. And while I was pregnant, I actually was diagnosed with gestational diabetes. So I had to take insulin while I was pregnant. And they told me to eat healthy whole grains and then like all the diet products with like the artificial sugars in it. Right. Yeah, that's the advice I got. (laughs)
0: Some artificial sweeteners in while you're pregnant. That's what they said. Really?
1: Yeah, I know. It wasn't that long ago. It was 2013. (laughs) So I I followed some of their advice. Luckily, I've been researching health topics for a long time, so I didn't really do that many diet products because I just knew they weren't great for me after struggling with my yo-yoing weight for so long. But they did tell me that once I had the baby, if I didn't lose the weight, that I would become a regular type two diabetic sometime within 10 years. And so six months following the pregnancy, I was struggling to lose the weight still. I kept bouncing around between the same three to five pounds. And six months after pregnancy, I checked my blood sugar levels and they were still like 130 to 140, which is considered diabetic. So while I never really had the diagnosis of being diabetic, I'm pretty sure that I was when I fell into that range. And so luckily... Because I was just sick of dieting altogether. Like, I really just wanted to give up. I was sick of restricting calories and restricting carbs and doing it all. But before I gave up, I did come across a book that really changed my life. It's called Kick Your Fat in the Nuts, which is a health book that's written by a comedian. And he basically teaches you how to lower your carbs to 25 grams of carbs per meal. So it was still a low-carb plan, but it wasn't as low-carb as I struggled with in the past. And then he also teaches you how to use certain natural supplements to start healing your digestion, which I had a huge problem with. So I followed that book's advice, but of course, I'm a research health junkie, so I didn't stop there, and I kept looking. And I found other plans online that started talking about intermittent fasting. And this was back in early 2014, so obviously wasn't as big of a thing as it is now. And the articles that I was finding was that women can do intermittent fasting, but they should not fast for more than 14 hours a day. And that was supposed to be for hormonal reasons that women are just different than men and they shouldn't go longer than 14 hours.
0: Did you read that one famous blog post that has been passed around ever since it was written right around that time period that talks about how women should not do it? It was like infamous in the intermittent fasting world. Uh, who do you know who was well? I, I don't want to say, but I think she's she's since reversed her opinion on it and now does intermittent fasting herself. But it was just one that during 2014 and 2015 and even into 2016, like clockwork, people would share that one post. <laughs> Jason Fung references it in his women and fasting blog post. You know that one blog post is the <laughs> one that seems to have informed everybody that somehow women are supposed to be careful and and should worry about fasting.
1: (laughs) No, that wasn't the article that I read because the one that I read was written by a man. So I know it wasn't the same one, but it was the same type of information. So I don't know, maybe he read that article and then wrote his own article. (laughs) (laughs) So for the first year that I did intermittent fasting, I was only doing up to 14 hours a day. Again, I started with 12 hours because 14 hours was just too hard for me to do since I was so used to basically constantly eating. So I eased my way into a 14-hour schedule, and I did it for about a year. And I actually had a lot of success with just lowering my carbs to 25 per meal and also fasting for that 14 hours. So in the first year that I did that, I lost about 70 pounds, and my diabetic blood sugar levels went from like the 130 to 140 range all the way down to 90 in only a few months of following a schedule like that.
0: Now that's pretty amazing because so many people think that They need to be like super duper low carb from, you know, the get go. But you only lowered your carbs to about 25 grams per meal, which really when you add it up over, you know, more than one meal, that's not crazy low, but it just was a a level that worked well for your body. I've tried
1: so many low carb plans in the past and I think I failed because I was always trying to be too strict.
0: Oh, me too.
1: Yeah. My body (laughs) didn't know what to do. It like it didn't really understand how to break down fat appropriately. So It was like I was starving myself, even though I was eating enough food where I shouldn't have been.
0: Like for me, I remember trying low carb and and never felt great. And I would always limit to 20 grams a day. Yeah. (laughs) That was really difficult.
1: Yeah, that's so difficult. And I do follow keto. And when I was following keto, after I had spent like a year doing that 25 grams of carbs per day, and that's when I found keto. So I have done the 20 grams per day, and I have found success on that. But that was only after I took that year to like really let my body adjust. And I also added those natural supplements that were helping add more stomach acid. So I knew how to break down the protein. And I also added a supplement As, like, a beet green supplement that helped my bile get flowing because it wasn't processing fat well.
0: Ah, that's important info. So, do you limit it to 20 grams a day now? So, now
1: I hit my goal weight a while ago and I don't. I don't really even pay attention anymore. While I was in the process of losing weight, I did need to pay attention, but I wouldn't say that I ever really limited to 20. It was somewhere like around 30 or 40 total carbs. But I'm also a very active person, too. So, that plays into the equation.
0: So when did you hit your goal weight? And when you got there, how much total weight had you lost? People always love to know.
1: (laughs) So my story is a little bit complicated because the first baby and I lost about 90 pounds in like, you know, a year and a few months after that. And then right after I got down to that goal weight, I got pregnant with baby number two. And while I did gain back some of the weight because you're supposed to gain weight when you're pregnant. (laughs) Right. I did not. Eat keto. I still ate low carb. I did not intermittent fast because everyone will tell you that's not really safe while you're pregnant. So I did not do that either. You know, I had the baby, and once it was safe for me to do so, I got back to keto and I got back to fasting. And then I incorporated even more fasting. So that's when I started finding out that it actually was safer for women to fast more than 14 hours a day. So I started pushing myself to like at least 16 hours daily. And then I graduated to like one or two days a week where I'd throw in like a 24-hour fast. So once I started doing all that, I lost another round of weight, which was about 65 pounds. And that all came off in about a year. So if you were to total it all up, I lost somewhere around like 155 pounds after two pregnancies. And each time I lost the weight, it took a little bit
0: over a year. Wow, that's impressive. Thank you. Congratulations. And how long have you been living at your goal range? Because people like to hear that too, because, you know, we've heard just like you and your history of 20 years of yo-yoing, you know, I had that same history and did the same plans that you did, you know, the (laughs) low fat was, you know, all the the plans and yo-yoed up and down, up and down. Like I can remember every period of my life and how big I was and, you know, what I was wearing because of how big I was. And, Never was able to maintain except for that period of time when I did diet pills. You know, I maintained during that. That's not what I would recommend, however. <laughs> but, you know, we know through those years that we always rebound. But I have not rebounded since 2015 when I hit my goal range. And so how long have you been at maintenance and not rebounding? So I want to say, like, while you're
1: talking about all those diets, the entire 20 plus years that Ioyo diet. I never actually hit a goal weight that I had in mind. I always lost weight, but I always started regaining the weight before I ever even made it to a goal. And once I started incorporating more intermittent fasting, not only did I feel great, but and not only did I hit my goal weight of 150 pounds for the first time ever in my life, but I actually kept going and I made it below my goal weight. So I hit 135 pounds. I want to say that was like... May of
0: 2017. Uh huh. So you're almost two years in.
1: Yeah, two years in. And I like that you say goal range because I have not maintained 135 pounds this whole time. I have, you know, gone back and forth between like a 10 pound range, but that's obviously a lot different than rebounding another 50 pounds every year and taking it
0: off again the next year. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And I think our bodies naturally fluctuate within a range, especially, you know, you probably know I don't weigh anymore. I haven't weighed since some point in, gosh, was it 2018? I guess the last time I weighed, it's been a long time, but I haven't weighed in a long time. But I just started doing Pilates. So I bet I've put on some muscle. And if I got on the scale now, I might (laughs) even weigh more than I did the last time I weighed. But does that mean I've, you know, gained a fat? No. So that's why it's important to think of a range. You don't struggle with staying in that range, do you? No, I
1: don't. That's what was happening to me too. Like I do sometimes occasionally weigh, I just look at it as data. Like I don't let it get me excited or I don't let it get me mad because I think that's like when you're just relying on the scale too much for your results. So sometimes I will look at it for data, but there were times that, you know, when I was really into fasting that I would jump on the scale, take a picture of myself jump on the scale and it might say 145. And then maybe like two or three months down the line, I would take another picture or try on new pants and they were way smaller. I looked way better and those scale would still say 145.
0: Right, right. That is such an important concept because I know you understand it, but listeners may not. And that's the whole idea of body recomposition. Could you explain that to our listeners?
1: Yeah, so I think especially is the case with intermittent fasting. When you're losing weight on the scale, you know, if, if you're one of those lucky people who just start losing weight right away, like if you're following even a low carb plan or even just an intermittent fasting plan, a lot of the weight that you're losing at the beginning is just water weight. And then all of a sudden, maybe it'll slow down or stop it completely. And like if you're just following a regular diet plan, it slows down because you're actually losing more fat and not as much water. But sometimes if you're following an intermittent fasting plan, you may stall or you may even start to gain weight, but your pants size are getting smaller. And that's because you're starting to add more muscle or maybe even more bone density, which is a great thing for your health.
0: Absolutely. And so the scale is not going to reflect what's really happening in your body. We call that body recomposition because, you know, one thing people say that's not true. They'll say, oh, the fat is turning to muscle. No, it isn't. (laughs) People say that. The fat does not turn to muscle, y'all, but you're losing fat and building muscle. So your body is becoming leaner and smaller, but the scale weight may not change. And you mentioned the fact that we may even gain bone density, which is super exciting.
1: Yeah, especially as we get older, I'm getting the big four o this year. So I'm actually sometimes happy when I gain weight because that means it's either muscle or bone density, and
0: that's what I want. Right. I'll be the big five <laughs> o In a few months, I've got 10 years on you. But you're yeah. exactly right because we want to get older and be lean and have good muscle mass and have good bone density. And that's what's amazing about intermittent fasting. I think that they'll allow us to age and protect those important parts that we need, those lean and bony parts that we want to preserve.
1: I unfortunately know some people that are only 10 years older than you, and they never took care of the muscle part, and they can barely get out of a chair. Like, you know, I know some people that need help or need to be pulled out of a chair because they don't have the muscle tone to do it anymore.
0: In their 60s? Yeah, in their 60s. Because, see, I used to think now that I'm about to be 50, I can talk about 50-year-olds, but I used to think 50 was like super-duper old and 40 was old and, you know, wow. And now that I'm almost 50, it is not. I'm youthful. I want to be youthful into my 60s and 70s. I want to be one of those, you know, 80-year-olds still doing Pilates. Yeah, exactly. So what kind of exercise do you like to do?
1: It's funny because so back throughout my yo-yo dieting days, I started exercising really young. There was this thing called the Cable Fit Club, like back in the early 90s. There was another one. I can't remember what it was called. It was on PBS. Oh, I think it was called Body Electric. So I started- Oh, I remember that. You remember yeah. that, yeah. So I started following both of those when I was like a preteen and I would exercise in my room and I wouldn't tell anyone about it. I also had a step that I would do step aerobics. And so I became a cardio junkie pretty early on. And throughout my yo-yo diet days, I would do cardio anywhere from like 60 to 90 minutes a day, like five to seven days a week. And I would try to do weight training, but I just didn't really enjoy it. So I didn't end up doing that as much as I should have. And now that I am in a healthier lifestyle and I focus more on the foods I'm putting in my body and also the intermittent fasting, I don't really exercise as formally as I used to. So most of the exercise that I get now is I go for walks with my kids.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great distinction because you're also at a different stage of your life. And I remember having, my boys are 18 months apart. Yours are, are how far apart? Two and a half years. Yeah. So you're not having a lot of free time. Let me no. just put it that way. You know, you're lifting heavy things. That three-year-old and that five-year-old, you know, you're. I'm sure you're hauling them around. And just walking with your kids and being active that way is really, I think, how we're supposed to live yeah and
1: I do actually do like the gym, you know, just having formed the habit throughout my life, but, like you said, it's just finding the time to get there. like I'm lucky if I get there once or twice a week,
0: right. now, when you were doing that sixty to ninety minutes of cardio for all those years, was it because you wanted to you know, to lose weight? Were you thinking it was helping you with that, or was it just because you loved it?
1: Yeah, I was pretty much in the calories in versus calories out mindset, so I thought if I could just like. Keep working out, keep doing more cardio, I would burn more calories. And that meant I wouldn't have to reduce my calories as low. And, you know, that whole mindset that's not even really true, but that's what people told me was true for so long. So I believed it. I did get to a point where I enjoyed it. Like, I still really enjoy walks and I even enjoy like some high intensity interval training kind of cardio, but it was mostly just to burn calories.
0: Yeah, I get that. I remember a friend of ours. It was a guy. His approach to losing weight was he would count up all of his calories and then he would get on the treadmill until it said he had burned more than that. Oh, wow. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> you know. But but our, our view of calories in, calories out has changed, right? So could you tell me how your view of calories in, calories out has changed?
1: Yeah. So doing the calorie counting for 20 years, I basically before, or even now, I guess, I can look at a food. I don't need to look at the label or look it up. I could just look at it and tell you how many calories are in it because I was so trained to add up all my calories. I would add it up either in like a handwritten journal back in the day or when apps started becoming more prevalent, I would add it up in those. And I would always try to hit that 12 to 1500 range that I was told I would lose weight at. And usually I always thought lower was better, so I'd aim for like 1200. And then exercise, I never really did that where I – you know, ate a certain amount of calories and try to exercise them off. I just thought more exercise is better. So the more I had time to do, the more I would do. And, you know, now that I eat low carb, I eat more for based on hormones and more based on how I feel. I don't even look at calories anymore. I actually, because I've taken the time, I feel like I've ramped up my metabolism with fasting and also with the foods that I eat. When I do count calories, like just to prove a point, it's actually almost double what I used to eat. And even eating double what I used to eat, I could still lose weight. So like there's days that I eat 23 or 2400 calories and I still lose weight. So it just goes to show me that the whole calories in, calories out really doesn't
0: make sense. That's so true. And it's so much about what our body does with the calories because you know, we think our bodies you know, what what we've learned, what you learned, what I learned, what we all learned and some people still believe that our bodies function calories in, calories out. You take calories in, you burn calories, mathematically the difference is whether you gain or lose. But our bodies don't work like calorie calculators. You know, in the lab Foods have a certain number of calories, but when we eat them, they're not processed the same way like they are in the lab. You know, our bodies don't do that. And, you know, some foods we use more of the calories from those foods, and some foods we don't because they go through the body unprocessed more so, or it takes more energy to actually digest them.
1: I think one thing that I learned from studying Jason Fung's work is also that, you know, your body will adjust to how many calories you're eating. So if you have a low calorie day, Right, You're likely not going to move as much, whereas if you're eating more, maybe you'll have energy to perform more activity and your body just kind of adjusts naturally like that.
0: Right. Our bodies are adaptive and our metabolic rate adapts. And I like what you said about your metabolism being ramped up because I feel the exact same way. I used to always have a low body temperature. I would be, you know, tired and lethargic. And now that I've been doing intermittent fasting, I really think that my metabolism is very different than it was 10 years ago. One thing you mentioned, Jason Fung and how our body adapts, he talks about how what happens if we are overfed and the calories outside of the equation. You know, your, if your metabolism is super healthy, it may ramp up in response to the overfeeding and you actually begin to burn more, you know, quote, calories, more energy because your body's trying to burn off those extra calories that you've eaten. I actually feel it. Like if I eat a big meal, if it's really, really carb heavy, like lots of potatoes, I eat a lot of carbs, (laughs) not like (laughs) carb. But if it's extra carb heavy, I get really hot after I eat. Oh, really? Like super hot. Like I start taking off my shoes and (laughs) changing my clothes. And my husband in the summer is like, "You are just, you know, (laughs) really hot." And I think it's my body burning off what I've eaten. That's the way it feels. I've always been a very
1: cold person by nature, which is the reason we moved to Arizona from Chicago. So I don't have quite that experience.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, our bodies do a lot of things with the calories that can then change the formula. It's not just a strict math equation at all.
1: Yeah, it took me a long time. Even though people told me, like people that I followed told me that was true, it took me so long to believe them just because... You know, your whole life you grow up being told calories in versus calories out and you believe it and you think that has to be true. So it's really mind-blowing no matter how many people tell
0: you that it's wrong, like to finally realize that's true. Right. And one of the keys is, like we said, your body isn't just static. You know, you can run every calculator on the internet to figure out what your, you know, metabolic rate is supposed to be based on these formulas, but your, your body, you know, didn't get the memo. Yeah, (laughs) It, It could actually slow your metabolic rate or it could boost it depending on, you know, so many personal factors.
1: Yeah. And I think also like I spent so long eating low calorie, like I was doing the opposite and lowering my metabolism. So constantly cutting my calories, it's like I can never go low enough without eventually stalling out.
0: See, and I think, you know, your data proves that because you had all those years where you ate 1,200 to 1,500 calories and you were trapped in that vicious yo-yo cycle and could not lose the weight. And I mean, I literally don't think you could have moved more. You were doing 60 to 90 minutes a day of cardio. (laughs) I mean, that is pretty a lot of cardio. And now you're not doing that and you're eating double the amount of food calorie-wise and you're not maintaining that higher weight. You're maintaining... Your goal weight.
1: Yeah. And it's really easy. Like, even, you know, when I was going through the cardio and cutting calories, like, I just never felt good. I always felt weak or shaky and hungry. And like, I wanted to kill someone just to eat another (laughs) meal, but I couldn't because I needed to get to my goal.
0: Right. And I think that is also a giant key that I really want listeners to take away. You didn't feel good. You were tired, you were hangry, you felt awful, and also dieting was hard and you couldn't lose the weight. Those are all signs that your body is not happy with what you're doing. Well, I
1: think I was abusing it, too, eating that way, and it resulted in all those problems that I listed earlier in the podcast.
0: Yep, and your body let you know with the bad feelings that it, it wasn't working and also the lack of results. But now, you know, you feel completely different. You have energy, you can move. Yeah, I mean, I'm constantly
1: like, so I'm not active in a gym as much anymore. But I feel like I'm always up cleaning up after my kids or getting them another snack or taking them to the park. So and I have energy for all that. You know, I know a lot of people that are my age just want to sit on the couch and relax and not really be active in their everyday life. And I just think that's kind of sad.
0: So it has changed because obviously I lost, from top to bottom,
1: I lost and maintained about 110 pounds. So that's a lot of weight to lose, and it has changed from the start to the beginning. But right now, as I'm maintaining, I just naturally follow a 16 or 18-hour fasting window. So I usually won't eat anything most days until noon. Some days, if I get a little bit hungrier, I might eat at 10, and usually, I'll just like open it up with a bulletproof coffee because in the keto world, that rules. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have like a bulletproof coffee, and I like to add collagen in it just to get some of that healthy protein in. And then, like you know, another hour or two, I might eat. But my window basically falls anywhere between ten and twelve, and then I usually eat dinner by six. So I'm eating from twelve to six most days, and I'm kind of a grazer. And the fact that I don't really eat an established lunch. So I I might eat like fat bombs or something like that, or, you know, even just a fat-heavy snack. And then I usually eat a good, healthy dinner around 5.30 or 6, which is like meat and vegetables.
0: And I have all kinds of yummy recipes on my website. So you open with your Bulletproof coffee with some collagen. You graze throughout the day, not really lunch. Then you have a a nice dinner with your family. Yep, that's pretty much it. Yeah, and it's just effortless, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So I used to be one of those people who would eat right up until bedtime. And I think that's how I easily started intermittent fasting was I just, once I ate dinner, I was done. I cut out the popcorn that I would eat pretty much every night. You know, Once that became a habit, then I just started pushing my eating window out later in the morning. And once you lead that lifestyle for a long time, it just becomes natural. And you look at people that are eating all day and you're
0: like, how can you do that? Even though you used to do that. Yeah. It becomes to feel... Very unnatural Yes. after a while. And that's the part that is so striking because that's the way we both lived and were taught to live. You get up, you eat your breakfast, you snack, you eat your meals, you snack, you go to bed, you get up, you do it again. And that's just normal. And then when you start, like you just said, you stopped eating earlier in the evening. That was a great way to to extend your window. You just didn't eat after dinner. And then in the morning, you gradually pushed your window a little bit later And then before you knew it, there's your eating window. Yeah, And then you could never go back to eating all day again, could you?
1: So like I said, I typically eat keto or probably a lot of people would consider it low carb because I do eat a lot more carbs than most ketoers do. But every year we go back to visit family in Chicago for a week. So I am more liberal with what I eat because Chicago has a lot of great food that is full of carbs. (laughs) But I pretty much always stick with my eating window. It's just... No matter what I'm eating, it's just become a natural part of life. It also makes the day easier. Like in the morning, I just get to focus on getting my kids what they need and refereeing their fighting instead of, you know, thinking about what I need to make myself
0: because I'm hungry. Right. And you don't even have to think about yourself, which is great. Yes. So you, you pretty much stick to that same eight hour window, six to eight hour window, even when you're traveling.
1: Yeah, even when I'm traveling, like I no longer on the plane when everyone else is eating, I no longer feel like I need to eat the snack too. And when we're traveling, like we stay with family. So maybe if they make breakfast, I might eat a little bit earlier on those days. I don't necessarily 100% follow it just because I need to follow it. So there are days that I do change it. But
0: as many days as we're on our own, then I usually just wait to eat. And the the key is that you're adjusting it to suit the events and your lifestyle, and you don't feel any guilt about that.
1: No, not at all. I don't even have a second thought about it. It's just my lifestyle
0: now. And I love that you just used the word lifestyle because, you know, prior to now, when it's just this lifestyle that you're living, it's just what you do. All those years of yo-yoing and dieting, did any of that feel like a lifestyle that you just wanted to keep up?
1: No, it just made me feel like a crazy person. And I was definitely that person for a long time, the people that drive me crazy now that would go on a diet just for the duration of the diet. And then I plan to go back to eating all the junk once I was at my goal weight. And I don't know how I plan on staying at my goal weight. I thought that would just magically happen once I got
0: there. Yeah, me too. That magical thinking. This diet is the temporary thing that I do to get to my goal weight. And once I get there, I go back. my normal life and just stay there.
1: Yeah. Before I put in the steps to improve my digestion, I was definitely addicted, not only to carbs, but to like the really junky processed carbs that weren't doing
0: anything great for my health. Yeah. I used to eat a lot of those too. Now I don't like them. My tastes have gradually changed to the point I don't purposefully avoid them because of a, a thought that they're quote bad and I quote shouldn't have them. I just no longer have the desire for them which is kind of amazing. You're eating what you want to eat because you love it and not, you're not looking longingly at those treats that you <laughs> want to have but can't. You just really don't want them. That's the shocking part. That did not happen for me overnight. <laughs> no. I, I knew the first
1: time, like I really understood the first time the power of fixing all this up was I was helping my brother with a softball tournament that he was doing. And so he was he had me at the front desk like checking people in and someone brought a big box of donuts, which of course, previously I loved. And I sat next to them the entire time. I hadn't eaten that day and I didn't even want them. I smelled them the whole time and I didn't even like think to take a bite of them.
0: Yeah. You were just like, nope, those are not food I'm going to have. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. When you get to that point, you know that you have arrived in your forever lifestyle because there's no more of the, oh, if only I could have that donut. You know, we all remember those feelings, right?
1: Yeah, when you're yo-yo dieting, that's constantly on your mind, constantly when you could have something that you're denying yourself. And then
0: the word is, you know, oh, I
1: cheated. Yep. And then a lot of people just beat themselves up and fall off their plan. And, you know, who knows how long they spiral out of
0: control, a day, a week, a month. And, you know, before you know it, you put all the weight back on. Right. And it's that feeling of all or nothing. Like, well, I might as well, I've ruined it. I might as well just quit completely. And I think that's why I was finally successful with a
1: low carb plan because I gave myself allowances like that with 25 grams of carbs per meal instead of per day. If I really, really wanted a donut, like sure, it wasn't ideal for my plan, but I could find a way to maybe fit in half a donut and then I didn't feel so deprived and I could still stick to my plan long-term.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. You made it work for you without feeling like it was, you know, cheating, and you didn't allow yourself to feel the guilt.
1: Yeah, and I never had that before because I was definitely that all-or-nothing personality, too. Like, you're either on a diet and you're following it strictly, or if you go off the diet, then I'm probably binging on junk food that I shouldn't eat, but I'd been depriving myself of it for so long that I deserved
0: it. You know, that explains my mindset at that time exactly, too. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's (laughs) that whole dieter's mindset. And once we can shift away from the dieter's mindset, that's when life just becomes magical. And easy. (laughs) When did you finally make the shift to this is just forever a lifestyle away from that whole I'm on a diet and then it will stop? Like what turned that switch for you?
1: You know, after I lost the first round of baby weight and then once I got pregnant with baby number two, because the first time I was pregnant, I was that typical pregnant person that wanted to eat all the junk. Because you could. Yeah, I could finally eat. I wasn't restricting myself. I wasn't supposed to restrict myself. I don't think I was supposed to eat the junk food because you want a healthy pregnancy. But that was my mindset for so long. And once I reached my heaviest weight and also my unhealthiest self, I think that was kind of the breaking point that once I finally found something that worked well for me and that was easy enough, I just didn't want to go back to that yo-yo struggle. So when I became pregnant with baby number two, I didn't automatically go back to that mindset where I wanted to eat all the junk food. Like I wanted a healthy pregnancy. And the doctors told me that, when I was pregnant with baby number two, that it was pretty much 100% chance that I would have gestational diabetes because I had it with baby number one and I was also over 35 at the time. And much to their surprise and my surprise, I did not have gestational diabetes. Oh, that's
0: huge.
1: It is, it's really huge. And they didn't say it was impossible, but they said it was very unlikely. But I really think the time that you know, year and a half that I took to fix up my health, To bring my blood sugars down by fasting and also with the diet that I chose, it just
0: really helped my pregnancy so I didn't have the gestational diabetes again. That is just amazing. And also, I want to point out you were doing intermittent fasting and also eating on the lower carb side of things, and you conceived a second baby while following that protocol. That's something we hear, you know, as as a fear. Oh, gosh, intermittent fasting is going to affect your fertility if you do it. But you didn't find that to be true for you.
1: I think I was 35 or 36 when he was conceived, and it was the first try.
0: <laughs> Yay, congratulations. <laughs> so, that just seems to be the biggest fear that people carry around is that intermittent fasting. And I also know you probably hear that in the keto world, too, that keto might, you know, be harmful for fertility. Whereas, you know, we're slowly realizing you know, women do have special health concerns. I don't want to say that women are not different than men. We are. You know, if we over restrict for too long, and we can stress our bodies out to the point that that can definitely, definitely affect fertility. But just you know, the idea of intermittent fasting itself as being you know, dangerous or harmful for women is a myth we want to bust.
1: Yeah, I think as long as you're following it correctly, like if you're following an intermittent fasting pattern where you're not eating when you're fasting, which is what you're supposed to do, but also if you're eating very low calorie when you're feasting, that's probably where health concerns would come into play and you might affect it. But also in the keto world, there's a term out there that's keto baby because a Uh lot of people are following a keto diet and they improve their health so much that they're able to get pregnant much easier whether they're trying or not.
0: We see this a lot, especially with women who have PCOS, Yes. Polycystic ovaries, and that's related to having high levels of insulin. And so fasting and, of course, keto, like in the keto world, both lower your circulating insulin levels, and that helps with those problems.
1: Yeah, and I I don't know if it's more than just in the keto world, but I've heard it talked about as PCOS is diabetes of the ovaries. Yes, I've heard that too.
0: Yeah, I've heard that phraseology. And they're even talking about Alzheimer's as being type three diabetes. It's affecting the brain. You know, my husband's aunt has always been, you know, really, really little, tiny thin lady, but she has early onset Alzheimer's, but she always had a Coke and a candy bar and never gained weight. But I think that that affected her brain. You know, having high levels of insulin are not good for your brain either.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of people out there that think just because they're skinny, they can right. eat whatever they want, but that doesn't mean their health is going to be great, especially as they get older.
0: So high levels of insulin, they can affect us, whether it's type 3 diabetes, like they're calling Alzheimer's or PCOS, or you know officially type 2 diabetes. All these things have in common high insulin yes. causing problems. So intermittent fasting addresses that, lowers the insulin, as does a lower carb or keto eating approach. And you would combine the two and then boom.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know it's like taboo to say, but I had type 2 diabetes. I was just never diagnosed. And then I followed this plan and I'm nowhere near type 2 diabetes. So, you know, people that are struggling with these illnesses really need to research the lifestyle more outside of just what their doctors telling them. Like, obviously, they need to listen to the advice their doctors give them, but they also need to put in their own research to see if it's maybe time to find a new doctor.
0: I like that you said that, you know, we never want to tell people to ignore their doctor because that's, you know, we're not their doctor and you don't want to do the opposite of what's good for you. But you can find a new doctor who is skilled in the area that you're trying to target. The new thinking, there's a lot of old thinking out there. If your doctor says to you, Well, what we're going to do is we're just going to, I want you to count your calories and eat more frequently, you know, lots of small meals during the day and really exercise more, then you know your doctor is still in the calories in, calories out mindset. And not to blame your doctor. That's how they've been trained. That's the conventional thinking. I might would shop around and find a doctor (laughs) who thought about it differently.
1: I um, visited my first nutritionist. I think I was like 12 or 13 years old and I had to go in for a physical and I was heavier at that age and they gave me the same advice when i was 12 years old to eat lower calorie lower fat foods with artificial sweeteners and i got that same advice when at the first time i went to see a nutritionist when i was pregnant at 33 the same wow. advice it never changed and it never worked for me
0: and it's not working for our society because you know everyone's gotten that same advice eat less move more yeah And it's just not working. So don't ever, you know, just directly contradict your doctor, but find a new doctor (laughs) that is going to be, you know, open-minded to the latest research and understanding that, huh, the human body is not just a calculator of calories in, calories out. Nope. You know, what you eat really does matter. Food quality matters. This podcast is supported by FedEx. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. It's 3 o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this... You know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate
1: a grocery store near you.
0: I want to circle back to something you said before you took some steps to improve your digestion. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah,
1: so when I had tried low-carb plans in the past, I basically always felt nauseous or like weak and shaky a few days into it. And I never understood why. Like, I just thought I needed carbs. Maybe women are hormonally different and we needed carbs because my husband never seemed to have this problem. But the book that I had mentioned earlier, Kick Your Fat in the Nuts, talked about improving the way your body digests food and that all my years of yo-yo dieting and masking the health symptoms I had with, like, over-the-counter medications... Impacted my stomach acid, which helps break down your food. And it also impacted my bile flow, which helps process the fat that you eat. So basically, my body was only fueling itself off the carbs, and the other food that I was eating wasn't breaking down. And that's why I felt horrible when I followed low carb plans. So even though I could see success with weight loss, I just never felt good. And so when I say that I took the steps to improve my digestion, The book tells you like a series of testing you could do on yourself to help improve some chemistry imbalances that a lot of people have, but it also teaches you to take natural supplements like HCL, which most people start off with. You have HCL, but over time, bad diet habits can make it so you have less and less. The other supplement, the beet green supplement that I talk about, helps move the bile flow. So my digestion suddenly started working together. So I was able to process the food I was eating and find success with a low carb plan.
0: On the intermittent fasting podcast, we've talked to some doctors and people who have created supplements and they say very much a similar thing. And one of them actually, Bioptimizers has an HCL that they create, but same exact thing. If you're not digesting your food properly, you're going to have problems.
1: Yeah. And I think like intermittent fasting, it gives your digestion a break. So, you know, you can help your digestion over time with that. But, you know, I was in pretty bad shape. My health was just bad. So I needed to take that extra step to make all of this easier for me.
0: Right. That's important. Tell us a little bit about your website and your books. You've mentioned them, but tell listeners about them
1: like since I hit my goal weight, I've kind of had a lot going on to help others. So back in June of 2017, I started my website, which is called com, which obviously has a very big keto slant. I started a website and I put up some blogs and some recipes just to help people that were struggling with their low-carb lifestyle because there's just bad advice out there. So I started that and You know, I just ran that for a while, ran my Facebook page. And then in March of 2018, I was actually contacted by People Magazine, and I was featured with four other women in their 100 Pounds Down issue.
0: Oh, I know. That was so exciting, right? Yeah, that was
1: really fun. It just kind of came out of nowhere. So that was really fun to be able to share my story. And as you've heard, my story has three different components, the digestion I started with, then the low-carb keto, and then of course intermittent fasting. And I guess People Magazine found the intermittent fasting side the best place to focus on because that's why I was featured. So I, I was in that magazine and having all the success just kind of inspired me to take all the blogs that I was writing and put them into a book. And so that book is on Amazon. It's called My Big Fat Life Transformation. So it does take you through all the steps that I took start to finish like with digestion with low carb and then how I progressed to keto there's some information about fasting in there as well so basically I just wanted to get that out there to help people with the same advice
0: that I followed that actually worked for me I was just going to say I think that's great cuz you hinted at before or you actually said there's a lot of bad advice out there <laughs> you know so bad advice out there and it's so hard you know Do you run Facebook groups as well Just one, the Eating Fat as a New Skinny Support Group. Okay. It's just so hard. You know, new people come in and you can't blame them because people are searching, searching, searching and, you know, YouTube videos out there. And they're like, well, I saw a YouTube video and it said that I'm supposed to, you know, whatever. We're like, no, no.
1: (laughs) I see um, mostly like the bad posts in other groups where people just – especially in the keto world, they come into it as fact. Like if you don't follow this rule, you are going to fail and you are wrong. Right. And it's
0: just so different for everyone. Right. Our bodies are different as far as, you know, the foods that work for us and the, you know, the composition of your macros that work for you, you know, Yeah. it's all going to be personalized. Even within, you know, the keto low carb world that you're in, you tweak it and make it fit you, Right.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think everyone needs to because, you know, some people do better with less fat and other people do better with more fat and all the macros. Like, you really need to find out what works
0: for you. I remember I was briefly in the keto world in 2014. And like you, I didn't feel well eating keto. I I do wonder if taking some of those supplements might have made me feel better, but I also didn't lose any weight doing it. And once I added back carbs and started doing intermittent fasting, I finally started losing weight. Long story short, lost all the weight (laughs) and I do still eat carbs. But I remember being in that world and the advice was always if someone was struggling, eat more fat. Yeah. And if
1: they're like me where their bodies aren't processing more fat, eating more fat is going to cause them to not
0: only feel bad, but probably gain weight. Right. And so that was the advice. And I was like, I can't eat more fat. What am I supposed (sighs) to do? (laughs) Yeah. Some people just
1: get sick with eating more fat.
0: Yeah. I felt Awful. We want to make sure in our communities that we're giving the advice that not necessarily only just what worked for us, because, you know, I can't assume that exactly what worked for me is going to work for you. It probably wouldn't. You would not do well with the dietary composition that I eat.
1: Yeah. Like I tried OMAD for a while and that did nothing for me. Like I didn't mind it. I, I felt okay. But when I was trying to lose weight, like I just completely stalled. And, you know, until I had a program where some days I did OMAD and, you know, I switched it up to other days where I would eat for eight hours, that's what my body needed. But I know that wouldn't work for everyone.
0: Exactly. I also, though, do think that an up and down approach, like you just described, where, you know, you had the smaller window some days and longer window on other days, I think that's a great approach for a lot of people because even with fasting, your body can adapt. You know, we like to think that, you know, it's never going to adapt. But if you do the exact same thing every single day, our bodies really want homeostasis. They want to be the same. So yeah. shaking it up is a good thing.
1: When I was getting ready for my People magazine shoot, I had a few pounds that I wanted to take off. So I actually kind of followed that approach. I made my own fasting plan called the Filthy Fast. Where, <laughs> and I know you advocate for a clean fast, so I'm not breaking do, I do, I do, but I'm
0: I'm not ju- breaking what's your the role. Filthy
1: Fast? The Filthy Fast sounds worse than it is, but it's basically taking that into account where you're like, calorie cycling. So one day is higher, one day is lower. And you're also cycling your fasting times where one day is longer, one day is shorter. So you're not really breaking your fast with things that you shouldn't be eating, but you just might push your fast later one day and have it earlier another day. And that really helped me lose weight quickly and get in great
0: shape for the magazine. Yeah, I think that's true. An up and down day approach. I have a chapter on it in Delay Don't Deny about alternate daily fasting, five two four three. Those are all plans that are up days, down days. And I think they're great plans. And for so long in the support groups that I've got, you know, everyone, see, I do a daily eating window and it's, you know, usually five hours or less or six hours or less. And so everyone just kind of tried to model it based on what I'm doing, right? Yeah. Like this must be the best thing to do, worked for Jen. And then some people stall and don't lose weight with that, you know, daily eating window approach. So we've had more people start to experiment. They remember, oh, there is that up-down day chapter. Maybe I'll try that, you know. And so a lot of people are experimenting with the up and down day chapter and finally having great success. If you listen to this podcast, you've probably heard yeah. some of the guests talk about that. And so we've actually got a whole big group of people, you know, doing an up-down day challenge next month. And they're going to, you know, fit that into their lifestyles. And people who had been stuck, you know, maintaining rather than losing are now finding that they are losing weight again. So I'm a, a big proponent of the up-and-down day pattern, especially if you're stuck. Now, if you do a daily eating window approach and it works great and you're steadily losing weight, keep doing it. yeah. But you found that you got stuck doing that, right?
1: Yeah, I did. I mean, I I felt fine, but I did. I didn't have a lot of energy either. I wasn't going for as many walks. I found myself like not doing as much activity when I followed that approach too. So I just luckily figured out pretty early on that it just wasn't right for me at that time.
0: See, I love that. There is not one best intermittent fasting plan. And that is so, so hard to communicate to a lot of people. I have a local, we meet for coffee every Saturday, just some people that are local to me and doing intermittent fasting. And it's our Delay Don't Deny Digging Deeper group. We were talking about that just this past Saturday when we met, and one of them said the first time she read Delay, Don't Deny, she's like, well, wait, it doesn't tell me exactly what to do. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> she's like, so she's like, she read it again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then she was like, oh, oh, I've, I've got to figure
1: out what to do. Yeah, and I think a lot of people go into it like they just don't want to put in the work. They want someone
0: to tell them what to do, but it doesn't work that way. Well, because that's what every diet book we've ever read Tells us exactly what to do and gives you a menu and what to have on day one and what time to do it. And that's not what this is. This is your lifestyle and you have to craft it yourself. Exactly. Now, we are almost out of time. And so I always like to close with the question, what would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting? Or is there anything you wish you knew when you were first starting out?
1: There are a few things. So definitely I know you advocate for the clean fast and it really is so much easier. Like my husband also does intermittent fasting and he thought he was listening to my advice, but he was not listening and he was drinking like a bulletproof coffee in the morning and then he would wait until dinner to eat and he actually started gaining weight. So even though he was eating considerably less, he was gaining weight because his body felt like it was on a low calorie diet. So that's definitely something that I agree with. Also, just if you're struggling with it, to just take your time and ease into a schedule, knowing that this is going to be your lifestyle and not just another diet. So don't just like rush into it thinking that you need to fast for 24 hours right now, but give your body time to adjust and work up to it. And then it'll just become natural.
0: Yeah. I think that's just the best advice for everybody. This is your lifestyle. You have the rest of your life to figure it out. Yeah. And to understand the scale like you talked about earlier, and not to let it stress you out. (laughs) Yeah, I think, I mean, if you can weigh yourself and
1: go into it thinking that this is just data, I'm not excited when I weigh less, I'm not mad at myself when I weigh more, and you just look at it as data, then the scale is useful. But if you're using it to be happy about the weight you lost or to be mad at yourself,
0: then it's not going to be a useful tool for you. Right, and that there are other points of data that you need to also look at. measurement, (laughs) photographs, because I remember you said when you would weigh yourself, you would take a photo of yourself, then you would weigh yourself.
1: Yeah. I I, One time I posted on Facebook a picture of myself where I weighed like 146.8, and then the next picture was like 146.3. So I only lost half a pound but looking at it, just the changes were huge. I think I dropped from like where a size 10 pants was really tight on me to a size 6 being loose. So I lost half a pound, but I look like a completely different person.
0: That's amazing information that people need to really just internalize. So people take photos because if all you were doing was focusing on the scale, you would be like, this is not working. But also, <laughs> also when you're taking the photos, you
1: have to realize that It's going to take time to see improvements too. Like, don't just take a picture on Monday and then take another picture on Friday and say, "There's no change. I'm done with this. This isn't
0: working." And the scale isn't. Yeah, give it a month. This is a long term. Yeah, give it give it a long time. Yes. Well, Nissa, I have really enjoyed talking to you today. And so, where's the best place for listeners to follow you? So I am on social media, Facebook
1: and Instagram, as Eating Fat is the New Skinny. And then, of course, I have my website, which is eatingfatisthenewskinny.com. I'm actually really excited to announce the person who wrote the book that I had mentioned earlier, Kick Your Fat in the Nuts. I've actually become friends with him. And we are actually going to be starting our own podcast.
0: Oh, in I April. love that. <laughs> what's, his, what's his name?
1: His name is TC Hale. So he's a nutrition author and he has his own podcast called Kick It Naturally. But we are going to be doing a podcast together called Chat the Fat, and that is premiering on April
0: 23rd. Okay, that's really exciting because this episode will premiere on April 11th. So uh-huh. <laughs> so everybody, Nissa's podcast is just around the corner.
1: And hoping, since we are going to be talking about keto, low-carb digestion, and fasting that we're hoping someday that Jen will come be, I guess, on our podcast. Well, you
0: can go ahead and just count on that. I will be <laughs> there. <That's> awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much, and I've really enjoyed chatting with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G I N